0: All right. Well, good morning again, uh, 59th Street family. Again, it's it's just so wonderful to be able to uh, worship with you again uh, this Sunday morning. And as we as we move towards uh, the second week of Advent, um, I think there's a palpable sense of anticipation that fills the air, that fills the atmosphere. And I think sometimes there's a there's a negative connotation with the word anticipation, right? Because it's normally used when it comes to more negative things. We anticipate work deadlines, we anticipate bad news that we know is right around the corner, but holiday anticipation is totally different, right? There's a joyful expectation, whether it's from counting down the days till Christmas or the joyful expectation of gathering with our families. And for those who are very stressed, I think think we can all enjoy the joyful expectation of taking a well-deserved uh, break from the routines of work, school, or life. And I remember as a kid, um, the school, they would give us these planners with a, with a calendar to help us organize our works. And of course, none of the kids used it. Um, but for me, you know, the, the only page I'd use was December because once December hits, um, I knew that, hey, uh, winter break is right around the corner, so you know, no school, but also Christmas is also around the corner as well. And so I would start to cross out Um, each day that passed. And the more days I crossed out, the more I thought about seeing my aunts and uncles again, the more I thought about playing with my cousins, and of course, as a kid, you know, dreaming about all the gifts that I would receive. And I think, of course, it's not just children, but adults too, right? Right after Thanksgiving, we also start to count down. We also start to put on our favorite Christmas tunes, we start to decorate our house, we start to, thinking, we start to think about uh, what sort of gifts we're going to give each other this year, um, or even just the, the the thought about seeing friends and family once again. And, and the reason this sort of anticipation feels joyful for us is for one specific reason. And that is hope. Because of the holiday seasons, not only do we hope that things might get better but we hope because we know things will get better. It's not just optimism, it's something far more powerful. It's an expectation, a joyful expectation. And so as you take a look in our passage today, um, in Isaiah chapter nine, we're actually going to see something very similar. Uh, The people of God, they're exiled into a foreign nation, they're facing some of the darkest days of their lives, uh, but they're about to receive a message of hope. Not hope based on an optimistic mentality, but hope based on, again, a joyful expectation. So let's take a look at our passage today uh, from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. And it reads this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeats, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. And every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will rule, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, the way I want to take a look at this passage is, is not necessarily from the eyes of an Old Testament reader, uh, but from the eyes of the New Testament readers as they encountered Christ. And the reason I want to do this is because it allows us to look at and understand this passage from a different perspective. You see, throughout the entire Bible, whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's this constant theme we find throughout, of, uh, throughout the Bible where we constantly look back in order to move forward. We constantly look back in order to find the hope and the strength to move forward. And we see this all the time, right, in the Old Testament where God reminds the Israelites to look back, to look back to the Exodus events where God saved them in order to remind them that God is going to save them again. And in the New Testament, even with the celebration of communion, which we'll have a little bit later, it forces us, well, I don't wanna say it forces us, but it reminds us to look back to the death and resurrection of Christ in order to remind us how to continue to move forward with hope in our lives. And so the reason God tells us to look back is for one simple reason. If God was our savior in the past, then he is our savior now, And he will be our savior till the day we die. And so with this theme of past, present, and future, I want us to structure our sermon by looking first at what Christ has done in the past to fulfill the prophecy that we just read. We're going to take a look at what Christ is doing now in our midst. And finally, we're going to take a look at what Christ will do in the future to bring this prophecy uh, to its final stage. And what I hope, at least, is that by kind of going through each stage one by one, it'll begin to fill you with a real sense of hope, uh, a real sense of optimism, because this type of optimism is not based on wishful thinking, but it's based on the reality of Christ's work. Uh, It's something that we can joyfully expect, whether it's right now in the present, in the future to come. So let's take a look first at the past, what Christ has done. And as we dive deeper into the first part of our journey through Isaiah's prophecy, we, we focus on a very pivotal event that Isaiah talks about, Where he says this he says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned now from an old testament point of view what isaiah is talking about here is the fact that israel was living under the darkness or shadow of the assyrian empire which has been conquering nations left and right but from a more theological perspective I think Isaiah is talking about an even deeper darkness. I think what Isaiah is talking about here is the darkness of sin. And I think it's only through the perspective of reading this verse through the lens of sin does it make sense, because for thousands upon thousands of years, even to an extent right now, we are all still living in deep darkness. In Genesis 5, um, this is two chapters after Genesis 3. So Genesis 3, we have the fall with Adam and Eve. And so in Genesis 5, there's, there's a very interesting chapter. You read it sometimes. You're like, what's the point of this, right? And it basically goes through the lineage from Adam to Noah. And there's an interesting part where, where uh, it talks about Adam's family line, where it says this. It says, Adam lived 130 years, had a son named Seth. And then Adam lived another 800 years for a total of 930. And then he died. Then it goes on. Seth lived 105 years, became the father of Enosh, lived another 807 years for a total of 912, and then he died. Have you guys ever read that portion of Genesis? Fascinating. And what the point of that chapter is about is that phrase, and then he died. It doesn't matter how many centuries these individuals lived, they all died. No matter how faithful they were to God, they all died. And since Adam and Eve, since the beginning of human history, there's a new ruler in God's creation, and that's death and decay. Right? Everything has succumbed to these forces, whether we're talking about individual people or whether we're talking about nations or civilizations. Everything has come to an end. And the unfortunate reality is that we see this intimately play out in our own lives when we look at our own physical health and when we look at our own mental health. Why does it take so much effort to try to stay mentally healthy? Why does it take so much effort to try to stay physically healthy? Why? Because our natural course is to death. It is to decay. It always leads to suffering. And this overarching shadow of death and decay is what the Bible refers to as the consequence of sin. It's a darkness that is not just physical, but it's also spiritual and existential as well. It's a darkness that influences every aspect of our lives and every aspect of the world that we live in. And I think when we look at this verse from that perspective, whether it's eisegetical or not, that the prophecy of Isaiah really begins to make sense. You see, every single person, doesn't matter if you, know, you lived 1,000 years ago, it doesn't matter if you live 1,000 you know, like, you know, years from now, it doesn't matter what culture you're born in, every single person in this world is walking in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of death, in the darkness of decay. But through Christ, they have now seen a great light. There's a dawn that is beginning to shine, and this light is, of course, none other than our Savior. Last week, we, we had the, the wonderful pleasure of, of hearing from Dr. Haig, and he emphasized the point that only Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, In the Gospel of John, um, in chapter 8, if we can get that uh, slide up, Micah, Um, in the Gospel of John, in in chapter 8, I think maybe you pressed like F9 or something, where it's like all blacked out, Uh, but it it reads this. It says that Jesus tells us, in chapter 8, he says this about himself, he says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See how that balances out what we just read earlier about people walking in deep darkness. And by declaring himself as the light of the world, what Jesus is telling us here is that he is actually the only solution to the problem of sin. In the land of deep darkness, which we are all living in, Jesus is the light that is finally going to bring life. And if we for a moment just think back to the story in Genesis 5, right? We just, you know, the one I mentioned earlier, where Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Seth lived 912 years and then he died. Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. But something changed when Jesus came into this world. Jesus lived 33 years and then he died. But on the third day, Jesus came back to life. On the third day, Jesus broke the chains of sin. On the third day, Jesus put an end to death, and he shined a new light into this world as he breaks the constant cycle of suffering, as he breaks the constant cycle of death. And so what we see in the past, and what Christ has done, is that through Christ, there is now life where there was once death. Where there was decay, there is now rejuvenation. Where there was once hopelessness, there is now hope because of what Christ has done through the cross and through his resurrection. And the wonderful thing about the gospel is that the story is actually not done. Because as the sun rises, it can only get brighter. And then when I look at what Christ is doing now in the present... I'm, I'm actually very, very amazed all the time. You know, granted, yes, in the present, there are still elements of deep darkness. We still see issues of war. We still see violence, oppression, and abuse. But we also see a different story that is beginning to pop up like little seeds all throughout the world. Historically, Japan has been known to be as one of the least, peop- uh, least reached people group, with about only 1%, or about close to like 2 million uh, Christians in that nation. In Japan, what's funny is like right now, at this very moment, we're actually beginning to see seeds of revival grow in this desolate wasteland. We're beginning to see organizations and pastors bringing the gospel to the Japanese people, to those who are living in darkness. And for the first time, we're actually beginning to see Japanese people responding positively to this message of hope. In 2019, here in our church, we had a wonderful lady by the name of Ellie Burke, who is uh, Pastor Andy's second cousin. Uh, she served with us here at 59th Street. She helped us uh, with youth ministries. She sang with us um, with worship. And she was, at that moment, she was at a transition stage. She didn't quite know what she wanted to do. She was here in New York. She wanted to be a nurse, but God felt, she felt like she was being called to another nation. But fast forward to now, in 2023, she is ready to go as a missionary to the nation of Chad in Africa. God is moving in her life, and God is preparing her to bring the good news to those in Chad. In 2018, we had a sudden influx of middle school youths who literally came out of nowhere. None of them believed in Christ. And by the time we moved to 2022, we baptized at least five of these youths, and we feel that in the coming year, we can baptize at least another five as we literally see Jesus bring life into these youths' lives. And even in our English department, I had the pleasure to disciple some of you and to see your face grow stronger through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so everywhere I look, despite the fact that there is still darkness, everywhere I look, I see pockets, revival happening, whether that's in our city, in our neighborhood, in our churches, or even in our individual lives. We see that people who once lived in darkness are beginning to see the truth of Jesus. We see that people who wanted nothing to do with God are beginning to make God their everything. Jesus is working in our midst right now. And I believe that he has gathered every single one of us here today with a purpose. He's molding us, he's shaping your heart even when you do not even realize it. And he's preparing for you to speak uh, sorry, and he's preparing for you to speak to and to bless uh, others throughout this week. He's working in you. He's working in this church. He's working in the city, and he's working in this world. Just want to share a short story, um, really quick. I was um, speaking with one of our youths. You know, I came across this absolutely wonderful podcast uh, with a Christian scientist. This Christian scientist basically talked about how unbelievably and wonderfully complex uh, this world was, from how fine-tuned the laws of physics are to also how fine-tuned we are as human beings. And he concluded that given the absolute complexities of physics, of chemistry, of biology, that there must be an intelligent creator if you're curious, I I can give you a link to the podcast later. Um, But it's not a very popular view in today's society, and it's definitely not a popular view in science, to think that there's an intelligent creator. Because it was such a wonderful podcast, um, I struck up the courage to send it to one of our youths. Uh, The podcast is actually three hours long, so I was like, oh dear Lord, you know, like (laughs) like, who's gonna, (laughs) like what kind of youth is gonna listen to this podcast for three hours? But I sent it to them, Because I thought, like, hey, these kids are navigating through high school, and when it comes to science and God, hey, these are some questions that they're struggling to think through. And what was unbelievable for me, at least, was that I sent it to one youth who doesn't necessarily believe in God. You know, I've had talks to this youth in the past, and it felt like I was trying to, like, break through a brick wall. But after listening to that podcast, we took some time, we discussed it, and for the first time, he said this. I almost had a heart attack when I, when I read this. He sent, he sent this to me on Instagram. He said this, and this is coming from someone who, who five years ago did not believe in God. He said this, I think it's hard for me to believe there is no God. Let me repeat that. I, be, I think it's hard for me to believe that there is no God. Because this youth is very bright, they followed up by saying this. He says that if there is a God who intelligently created me, then that means I was created with a purpose. Would you ever expect to hear these words from someone who never believed in God? Never in five years would I have expected those words to come from his lips. And what I saw from just that one small interaction itself is that Jesus is alive. He is working, he is changing hearts. And the wonderful thing for us as Christians is that we are invited to go on this journey with God. It's wonderful that I get to follow up with what God is doing in this kid's life, that I get to follow up by asking this kid, hey, what do you think is the purpose of life from a Christian perspective? I'm delighted to be able to partner with God to teach him about salvation, to teach him about God's radical love, but also about our commitment as Christians to continue to sow, uh, sow the seeds of the gospel so that everyone who is living in deep darkness can see the light. It's encouraging. It's purposeful to realize that we are messengers proclaiming good news in a corrupted and dying world. And the beautiful thing is that when when I see Christ working, whether that's on a national level, in our city, church, or even in our individual lives, it fills me with such tremendous hope because I know that what I believe in is actually true. It's not theory, it's not just spiritual, it's not blind faith. When I see God working physically before my eyes and when I see the gospel message bring such tremendous change in the past, in the present right now, I'm confident I have hope that God will continue that good work in the future. So coming back to our passage, I I love these last few verses that that Isaiah has here. Starting from verse 5, he says this, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. If we take a closer look at verse 5, we see that Isaiah, he says something here that's a little enigmatic, in my opinion at least. He says that every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning. Now, whenever the Bible, you know, talks about, you know, burning or fire, you know, I think like our minds automatically think of like hell and judgment, right? But if we look carefully, the future that Isaiah is pointing here is not about judgment. It's actually not about death at all. But Isaiah is actually pointing to a new era of peace. What he's saying here is this, everything that is used for war whether that be swords, guns, missiles, or in this case, boots, all of that will be burned. Every piece of cloth that has been tainted by violence and tainted by bloodshed will be cast into the fire. And why will they be burned? Because we won't need them anymore. What Isaiah is pointing to here is a time when there will be no war, no violence, and no death. He's pointing to a time when we no longer have to make weapons or equipment to kill each other. We no longer longer need bandages to treat those who are wounded or cloth to cover the dead. All of these things will be destroyed because we're entering into a new era. It will be a new era of peace where violence is a distant memory of the past. It will be a new era of peace where people no longer fight over land or ideology. Why? Because the Son of God will fully reign here on earth as he has already reigned in heaven. A time when all people will look upon Christ and call him our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. As Paul writes in Philippians, it will be a time where at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is for us, as Christians, part of the good news. When we look at the violence across the world, when we look at the injustice across the world, when we see how people are still oppressed in this very day and age, and then when we hear this message of restoration, I believe it is truly good news to those who hear it. I believe we as humans, we are tired. We are tired of this endless cycle of suffering. We are tired of spending decade after decade, century after century and millennium after millennium in the darkness of sin, killing one another, abusing one another, oppressing one another. We're tired of that. We're tired of watching other people get hurt. We are tired of getting hurt ourselves. And I think our Father in heaven, when he looks at the sins of the world, he's just as tired as us. And because God is tired, Of all of this wickedness, I am confident that it is only a matter of time until Christ returns to make all things new. He came to us in the past and recorded human history. He's working in our midst right now, whether that's in our lives or in this church, and He will continue to work in the future until He brings His eternal light into this dark world, as he finally brings peace into a world of violence and brings restoration to a world of death. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us, I want to remind us that the sun is already dawning. The shadow of sin and death are already beginning to be pushed back. It's only a matter of time. And so as we come to the end of our sermon, I I want us to think back, I want to bring us back to the idea that we started with this morning. Christmas day it's only a few matter you know it's only a few days away it's only a few weeks away it's only a matter of time until christmas day comes a day of celebration a day to be with the family a day for us to just find some rest but just as sure as i am that christmas is right around the corner i'm equally convinced that christ's return is right around the corner as well i can't tell you when i don't know with certainty but what I do know with absolute certainty is that it is only a matter of time. And so with the spirit of hopeful and joyful expectation, I, I want to invite us into a time of prayer as we, as we pray for this world, as we pray for our neighborhood, as we pray for our church and also for our lives as well. And as we pray, I, I, I want us to pray not just with blind faith, but I want us to pray with, with a spirit of joyful expectation that God will bring light into our lives and into this world. So why don't we come together uh, for a time of prayer. Lord, as we look at the world around us, we, s- we still see it filled with tremendous violence. We still see it filled with tremendous suffering. Uh, we still see wars ravaging the land. We still see people suffering from poverty. And as we turn our eyes at Sunset Park, we, we see the same thing. The streets are more dangerous, drugs are making its way back onto 8th Avenue, and it seems that just about every single person I meet, whether they're children, teens, or adults, uh, we're all simply just so tired. We're all simply just so anxious all the time. And so, Lord, as you have taught us to pray, we deeply pray that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But despite the fact that it's not here yet, we acknowledge that you are still working in our midst. We see you changing lives in the churches around 8th Ave. We have felt your love and mercy in our own lives. And for that, Father, we are beyond grateful that you have given us a way to escape the cycle of suffering and to escape the cycle of death. And so, Father, as as each day passes and as your return comes closer and closer, we pray that we will continue to do our part in this mission, to continue to spread the message of good news to all who have ears to hear to continue to make disciples of all nations, to continue to worship you, not just with our words, but with our lives and with our actions. Father, you have, you have promised us that if we stay faithful to you, if we stay faithful to your great commission, that you will be with us to the very end of the age. And so let us continue, Father, to grow in obedience with you. We thank you that you are our light in this dark time. We love you and we praise you. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.